Hey everybody, this is Taylor with a quick disclaimer up front. Ryan and I recorded our weekend review starting at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday. It's a long weekend review, so it ended up being about an hour and a half in length. But I say all that just to say that we recorded prior to Man City's uh, match against Leicester, uh, which is obviously Monday afternoon. So if something crazy happens, if City lose by five goals, or even one goal, or even drop points at all, that is why we did not discuss it, uh, but obviously will later on in the week, because that would have major implications for the title. Uh, so no City Leicester game, but many, many other Premier League uh, games to be discussed, as well as the Championship, uh, Bundesliga, and a little bit of La Liga as well. Uh, So I will stop talking and turn it over to me and Ryan, but first, a little music. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. With me on the other end of the line, I've got Mr. Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tay-Tay. You know nothing gets me up on a Monday or any other day like you <laughs> or Daryl doing your greeting at the start of the podcast. I love it. It just picks me up. Sends it through my oh, veins. That's good. I- I was a little bit nervous that maybe like screaming into your ears wasn't the ideal way to begin the show, but uh, I'm glad that you like it. But that may also just be because you've had a, I'm going to say, a very good weekend. Oh, I've had a tremendous weekend. A bottle of fizzy stuff was opened in the Bailey household this weekend, Taylor. AFC Wimbledon, my team, uh, who may have gone down, may have been relegated from League One this weekend, were not, stayed up on goal difference alone by three goals uh, following a nil-nil draw at Bradford. Exactly. The the tightest of margins by staying up. Uh, Yeah, playing at Bradford, this was, uh, who, funnily enough, were the team who relegated us from the Premier League in the year 2000 when they beat Liverpool on the final day of the season. Liverpool not wanting to qualify for the Champions League in that season. A bit like several teams from this season, funnily enough. But AFC Wimbledon, 189 days in the relegation zone, only just came out of it last weekend. We were 10 points adrift in February. February! Wally Downs, our manager, if he doesn't get manager of the year. I mean, Sol Campbell's getting a lot of credit for what he's done with Macclesfield, pulling them out, but Wally Downs deserves it for that. Incredible. One defeat in the final 12 games, Taylor. We're staying up. We've been written off so many times, this club in our history. Once again, first of all, wrong. I think... I think he deserves to win it just because... Is his name Wally? Yeah. I think more managers named Wally need... Uh, need like some sort of silverware to make them seem a little bit more legitimate because Wally doesn't really command authority, and I say that having had a grandfather named Wally. Uh, but I also wanted to know, did you refer to this as the great escape on Twitter? Quite possibly. Why? Well, I'm just curious like because it seems like every season there's a new great escape, and I'm wondering, is this the 2019 great escape of the English League? No, no, no. This isn't the 2019 great escape. This is the all-time great escape. Okay. This is it. This is of the course. one. Uh, By the way, is Wally is. is Wally a name that's used commonly in the States? I ask because your Where's Waldo is called Where's Wally, where I am from. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. My, my grandfather was Wallace, so that's why he went, went by Wally. There you go. Uh, I, I, I don't know how many other Wallys there are uh, out there in the world. Wallys, feel free to email in and let us know. Um, so, Ryan, <laughs> that was the positive uh, aspect of your weekend. There was a slightly more negative event nope. uh, heading into nope. the weekend nope. that... You, know, you don't recall this? I don't know what you're talking about. You have to refresh my mind. <laughs> uh, oh, I will happily refresh your mind. We did about five <laughs> minutes of coverage in it on the Friday show. 
Yes, you uh, did. Ryan involved in a a what hundred hundred yard dash at his uh, child's school. They're like <laughs> field day. I'm assuming Ryan got like. It was it was a uh, it was a good run for about halfway through. Then Ryan went for a tumble. It was almost as contentious as the Kentucky Derby this weekend. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, what's the reaction been for you? Uh, has there been an outpouring of support? Have there been conspiracy theories? What's been going on? There's been an outpouring of lots of things, including things coming out of my body, but not uh, not support. I would say from this one. And I was going for the negative split, Taylor. I was going for the second half of the race faster uh-huh. than the first half. But I, I, I I've said on Twitter that I will never um, you never make fun of Stephen Gerrard for his slip again because I understand these things Mm -hmm. can happen and also Jurgen Klopp when he's complained this season that the grass is too dry or it's too windy or he had the wrong (laughs) kind of breakfast that morning you know I understand Jurgen I feel you now I've fallen over I know that grass can be dry as well it's amazing. And by the way, um, one of the things I've been mocked for a lot is that a man in a lion costume overtook uh-huh. me in the race. And uh, I have actually received um, an, uh, a statement from the lion, if you want to hear it. Lion statement. I would love to hear it. <clears throat> I, George the Lion, the iconic mascot of the award-winning British International School of Charlotte, hereby renounce all responsibility for the complete and utter failure of Mr. Ryan Bailey, harsh, whose attempt at participating in our prestigious dad's race has brought mockery on our school, and most importantly, my own prowess and professionalism as a competitive mascot and elite runner. This thing goes on and on and on. I'm going to spare you it, but basically he's challenged me to another race, even being cocky enough to give me a head start. So I'm feeling pretty low right now. Uh, are you going to accept that challenge, or are you still mulling the offer? Well, to be honest, I'm going to dig the line out, because I think he fell over in the race before my one. So uh, I- I'm going to say yes. Let's do it. Uh, all right. Come all on, right. George. And then Come will, at me. Will, will his, I'm assuming, British Lion Cubs be there in attendance? Is that how it works? They'll be roaring him to second place, baby. <laughs> yeah, but what, what did you... So, uh, was our analysis fair, albeit uh, slightly gleeful at your uh, misery? You know, uh, what? was it the grass? Was it the surface? Was it the footwear? I know you did. I know you did this as a bit of fun, but um, it's actually mm. testament to how good you guys' analysis is because you absolutely <laughs> nailed it. It was an undulating surface. There was a pa- the patch where I fell was where the grass disappeared. You can see from the dirt that all kicked up and uh, the amount of uh, cleaning I had to do to my wounds afterwards. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, th- I, I should I, be laughing. I, well, I, I can laugh about it. I I think um, I think I had to put this up on social. I had to make a, a thing of it. Otherwise, I would have buried it within me forever, and that wouldn't have been healthy. Well, I appreciate that you did that. I appreciate <laughs> that you let us uh, in- enjoy your misery. But I will say it was not the most embarrassing result of the weekend. I'm going to say no. that was uh, Huddersfield 1, Manchester United 1. Uh, shall, shall we move to the Premier League? Lots of things to talk about from this game, Tate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Huddersfield's 15th point of the season. Going, going to Man United. Yeah. I think in the two seasons they've been up, they've had four points off of you uh, from those two mm-hmm. games at home as well. The only relegated side to pick up a point against any of the top six clubs this season. And it came against Ollie's Manchester United. How are you feeling about that? Just terrific. Terrific. <laughs> I was playing a game yesterday against uh, a friend of mine who's a Huddersfield fan, and he was just gleeful. Gleeful as the uh, the score was was finalized. I was less gleeful because obviously it means Man United officially failed to get into the Champions League. Yeah, but also just because for to playing against a team that has absolutely nothing to play for, uh, very much already relegated, very much low in the points total. As you said, no points against top six sides until now. You're welcome. <laughs> it felt like a game that, at the very least, you would have expected a kind of boring, dull one nil win. And once again, United take the lead, and it seems like okay, here we go. That's kind of how it's going to play out. 
And then they end up conceding only one goal this time, but still uh, a goal that obviously should not have been conceded. And really, for most of the second half, if not for most of the game, looked kind of completely ill-equipped to fight back. Even though they hit the post, even though they had chances, it still didn't feel like there was much of a, oh, okay, now we really got to buckle down and make something happen. Okay, now we got to hustle for it. It felt like sort of a, ah, well, that happened, I guess. Is it leadership on the field, do you think? It's a couple different things, but yeah, I think that's definitely a big one um, because I look at the uh, Huddersfield equalizer, and it comes from a Manchester United corner. They keep three back to defend two. That's fine, okay? Yep. If that's how you want to approach it, you want to keep cover. Um, the issue here is that when that ball is played, like basic, Shaw obviously could have done better cutting out the ball from Lossel to Mbenza, yeah. but again, it's a goalkeeper with the assist. The bigger thing to me is that of those three who are back, they're all still a good at least 10 to 15 yards from midfield inside Huddersfield half, yeah. and Ashley Young, who's supposed to be most central, is actually the closest to the goal. So it's this weird amount of space that they've kind of left very invitingly open that a driven long ball is going to exploit. And that's exactly what happened. It's uh, very and good work th- by Lossel, who, who kind of disgraced himself oh, yeah. with the first goal, by the way, because that was shocking goalkeeping. Well, yeah. But I mean, Luke Shaw being your furthest man back when you're trying to mm-hmm. potentially stop a counter doesn't seem like the smartest thing in the world. And I describe his attempt at trying to block that Lossel shot as, as, as like... Your rec team, that's kind of something, a stretch mm-hmm. your guy who's a bit overweight and unfit in your rec team might try and do. I wouldn't get too lambasted for it, but when you're a professional, didn't look great, did it? No, it, it really didn't, and you're not wrong. that there's, there's plenty of video out there of a couple of different players. Luke Shaw is a prime example of players who just kind of look like maybe they've been on the beach, which is not a thing you expect of a club like Manchester United at this point in the season. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, he, he had a couple where he, he looked like he could not physically keep up with the pace of the counterattack uh, when he was trying to get back and defend. There's one where I think... 10 seconds after Huddersfield entered Manchester United's half, you finally see him back on screen because he kind of has this very slow jog back. And yeah, in this situation, he's basically making a 20-yard sprint to try to get into position to cut out that long ball. And I almost wonder if that 20-yard sprint kind of had him, like, knocked his... Like fitness level down to the point where then he went to make a play on the ball that if he's 100% fit, he easily makes. But because he's a little bit out of breath, he's not quite as focused, and right. he doesn't end up making the play. A little bit out of breath might so be his, uh, his mantra for the season, perhaps. Exactly, exactly. And so it's it's a fitness issue, obviously. Carl Anka came on the show and talked about that. But it's it's a like maybe it's a minor thing that because I am a Man United fan, it seems bigger to me. But I feel like most teams have a set way to defend when they're attacking a corner, if you understand what I mean by that. Yeah. They keep those numbers back. They know where everybody needs to be. There are specific roles for how to defend if they get hit on the break. And here, it just felt like they kind of kept three people back who were kind of shorter, but none of them really understood what their role was going to be, and there wasn't really much of a plan. And in the end, it's a goal for Huddersfield. Yeah, and when I was thinking about what I'd say on this show about this game, Taylor, I was thinking, let's be fair to Man United. There were long spells where they played quite well. There were some nice moves uh, you know, in, in the first half, I'd say, and obviously Pogba hitting the woodwork twice as well. But then I thought, hang on a second. This is against Huddersfield. This is Manchester United exactly. we're talking about. Is yeah. this the bar with which we're setting this team now? I thought... It just it just seems, I mean, if, if, if it had been 2-1 to Man United, I still think we'd be having the same conversation, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think we would. Because even then it would be like Paul Pogba hitting a shot from 20 yards out. Great, great goal, great bit of skill. But it doesn't show the sort of overall game plan that I think we would have expected. And I yeah. understand that it's a team that are maybe a little bit down, maybe like pretty tired because like fitness wasn't great when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over. But that still doesn't excuse a lot of the like 
like the lethargic way they played, the static way they played, the lack of precision, to me, it really does. I've been kind of battling this going back and forth on whether or not this is like too sweeping, and it probably is. But to me, it seems like they just kind of don't care. And that's a very like easy way of putting it. But I guess what I mean is that it, I, I'm kind of shocked by how almost directly this downturn in form or continued downturn in form coincides with Solskjaer getting the gig permanently. Yeah. And it almost makes me wonder if the players are like, okay, Mourinho's gone, breath of fresh air, interim manager coming in, we kind of have a bit more freedom to do what we want, and then, you know, then things are going to change in the offseason. Oh, he's here for good? Oh, okay. <laughs> and, like, I feel like, and, like, some of that freedom, some of that, like, enthusiasm maybe went away. I, I, I don't have any evidence to say that aside from just how lazy, for lack of a better term, these players have looked in the last few games. It's, this absolutely encapsulates that intangible concept of new manager bounce, doesn't it? The way they first yeah. came off under... The, the, the stat here mm-hmm. I found off, off of uh, Reddit, um, they were sixth in form uh, during the period while Jose Mourinho was in charge, first while Ole Gunnar was caretaker, 12th in form while yeah. he's been permanent. So that's a big dip since he's, uh, since he's really good start and I mean what factors have changed it's it's just that he's not a new manager anymore essentially isn't it I mean the pressure hasn't got particularly higher um there hasn't been any major injuries or changes in personnel elsewhere just like certain players have got got a lot worse it seems and not just I'm not just digging out someone like David De Gea here I mean there's a clip of um some of the passing out of the back that United were trying to do during this game and it looked absolutely amateur it did look what it made me think rec league once again and you think of someone like you know these teams like Bayax Bayax I've just conflated Barcelona and Ajax there it's a fair thing to do you could throw Spurs in there too (laughs) because they tend to raid Ajax as well yeah (laughs) but I mean I I just in comparison to some of the proper passing teams we see week Mm -hmm. in week out it was just so subpar and it made me think about players like Lindelof players like Phil Jones players like Chris Morning who wasn't uh, you know, didn't start this one, but but um, what what are they going to do next season? Like Phil Jones, he's probably on big old wages. Who, why would he leave to get uh, you know to, if he's on those wages? And who the heck is going to buy him? And you could ask the same question of Alexis Sanchez. He's on mega wages mm-hmm. as well. What team in their right man mind is going to take him without United taking a massive hit on players like that? I mean, I, I think you have your answer, which is only very foolish ones. Manchester United would have been my nominee for a lot of, <laughs> of, of like players who are looking for a new deal with on massive wages. We'll maybe talk about another one of those players in a moment because mm. I do think they're going to make a stupid decision this summer. Um, but like, I, I wanted to say one thing about like a little bit more about like this game before we move into maybe what happens in the future because uh, I do want to answer that question. But the thing that I, I also wanted to add as to why I'm I'm sort of like not concerned as a fan, but more so I just kind of don't know where they go, is because you look at this this team, and if there is a fatigue issue, if there is a fitness issue, like our final adult league uh, game of the season was this weekend, and we had 11 players, and we're carrying three injuries, and Daryl and I, we always try to do like a high-pressing system, and Daryl and I decided on like that morning, like, okay, we don't have the personnel, we're going to sit back, we're going to defend, and we're going to counter. It's not what we usually do, but it's the only way we're going to be able to try to be competitive against a good team. I think we lost 4-3, to three, so, you know, still losing, but like we made that adjustment, and that Solskjaer, it seems like, is kind of continuing to to do the same stuff, but it doesn't look like the players are any better coached or any more fit or any more inclined to do that work. Yeah. To me, it's it still, it just shows that there's like a lack of awareness from Solskjaer or at least a lack of problem solving. There's a lack of enthusiasm from the players. And so when you kind of combine those with a confused front office and a bad ownership group, it does lead to a lot of question marks that aren't easily dealt with. So yeah, to your point, 
Like, Phil Jones was, in my opinion, one of the worst players on the field yesterday. Ashley Young looked very bad. Luke Shaw looked out of shape. But they're on such high wages, and Alexis Sanchez has forced that wage bill even higher, that, yeah, I don't know how you get rid of some of these guys without either having to subsidize their wages or just, like, buying them off entirely or just hoping that Alexis Sanchez just wants to play golf for a couple years and you pay his wages and hope that people (laughs) forget that that was the kind of standard you established. Yeah, the Gareth Bale route, we could call that, and we could talk about that later, perhaps. But uh, let let me ask you this question. Of all the players Mm -hmm. that, say, started or even on the bench for this game, which one of those would you actually want to keep next year? And would you want to keep any of them? Like maybe I'm thinking maybe yeah. Marcus Rashford. Like who else would you want to keep? I I mean it's it, the ones the ones that I I would definitely want to keep. I would still I would want to keep De Gea. I think yes he's had, he's had a bad run of form and even the goal he conceded it was not a howler by any stretch of the imagination. But Daryl and I have had many debates about the like technique he uses to save low shots. We've referred to it as like the it's. It's a difficult one to go with nowadays, but like it's like the De Gea swastika almost, where he like puts one leg out, drops his right knee down, puts like his left arm up, and puts his right arm down. Yeah, and it's just a weird shape he does. But I've always defended it. Daryl has always made the point that it leaves him vulnerable to getting megged. That's what happens here. But I still don't think that like that he has. I don't think that he's on some horrible career decline where he's never going to be good again. I think it makes sense to keep him. I've, I've been okay with Victor Lindelof. I, I, Scott McTominay reminds me not just because he is going to play for Scotland of kind of Darren Fletcher and how much like the club means to him that he is Scottish, that he is kind of like tall and lanky, can score goals, definitely wants to be there. There was video of McTominay after the game just sitting on the bench by himself, like 45 minutes after the final whistle, just looking kind of distraught with the result. Mm. So those three I'm good with. Um, Marcus Rashford, everybody loves. I am not as big of a fan of his lately. I feel like he shoots a lot. And when there's a chance for him to score, then he's kind of motivated for it. When he feels like there's a chance for him to score and it's not as likely, Hang he on. still takes it. So when he. What, do you, what more do you ask from a striker than that? I, well, I guess, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Like, like, he's still trying, like, he tries to hit those Ronaldo free kicks from like 40 yards out. Okay. Like, that's not, you're, you're not quite at that level. But then there's just moments where, like, like, in the one that I think you were alluding to earlier, where like, there's just nobody kind of moving to create passing options. Rashford is just kind of staying on the sideline, pointing at different people, yeah. saying, pass it there, pass it there. He himself isn't really moving. And I just feel like there are moments where he kind of switches off in frustration. I would like to see him more focused and more consistent. But yeah, he probably stays. So maybe those four are the ones that I would feel most comfortable with them keeping around. Yeah, and some of the younger players, like Chong came on, he, he's in pretty good, didn't he, when he came yeah. on for Sanchez mm-hmm. and had a couple of shots, but that's an indictment of Sanchez as well, Come a, a Dutch teenager coming on for him uh, at that stage in the game as well. I think it was 49 minutes before Huddersfield had a shot at David De Gea, by the way. That's another one that's a bit alarming, <laughs> isn't it? The, the fact that United yeah. didn't make more out of that situation. What a mess. I mean, th- this is the, the soccer equivalent yeah. of falling over in a dad's race in a sports day, essentially, isn't it? <laughs> It is, except that in the dad's race, you get like second opportunities. And at the very least, you get to like pick yourself up and dust yourself off. Yeah. And you can be confident that you'll be able to run again. Whereas someone like Mike Phelan, who's, you know, assistant manager right now, he came out and said like he isn't sure what his role is going to be with the club from week to week, that it seems to change and the job that maybe he's going to be offered changes. And I think that, again, very indicative of the indecision and sort of chaos at the club. I have a feeling they're going to try to make uh, stupid, loud signings to distract from the fact well, that they didn't get Champions yeah. League, and we'll see how that goes. That's going to be my next question for you, because you know we've seen the pattern with this post-Ferguson team. Is it $800 million in six seasons? Something absurd they've spent on players. It does seem to be like these very expensive mm-hmm. band-aids they try and apply every summer. Are we just going to do that again? Is that what, I mean, is that what has to happen? No, it's not what has to happen, but it seems to me is what will happen. What else could you do? I honestly think... 
I, I mean, you could appoint a director of football, have them kind of get in consultation with Solskjaer because you've given him the permanent deal. Well, he's still going to buy players, though, hasn't needs... he? What's that? If you appoint a director of football, they still got to go buy players. They do, they do, but I think with some level of reason, some level of rhyme to it, as opposed to what I think you, I genuinely think they're going to put in a bid for Gareth Bale. Uh, I think that that's going to be Ed Woodward's way of saying, like, see, we can still sign big-name players, even if we're not in the Champions League. I think he's going to react to a lack of Champions League by throwing money at the problem, and that's what I think doesn't work. So on the, I think on if you're the, running down the Champions League, it makes more sense. On the wages spreadsheet, he's just going to okay. get Alexis Sanchez's name, cross it out, and just put Gareth Bale on there. Is that what he's going to do? I'm, except I don't know how you get rid of Alexis Sanchez, so then you get both of them, and now you're paying them <laughs> equally ridiculous wages. Oh, I think boy. Bale, before tax, is on like 600000 a week, uh, which is, nope, I did not mistake that, again, before tax, because then I think he ends up only getting only getting 350 a week or something oh, like that. Poor but guy. Still going to be an issue to be dealt with, but yeah, I think that's what they do. I think what I would prefer them do is make smart signings with a plan towards the future, and then give Solskjaer a normal preseason, where he's actually able to get a lot of fitness in instead I think they're going to be doing a lot of touring this summer, as are a lot of other clubs. Yeah. So the, I guess the positive to that is that you can then talk about today's sponsor, SeatGeek, because uh, there will be a lot of different football teams touring the United States or touring your area, potentially. And if you want to get tickets to those events, you can use SeatGeek to do just that, because if you ever need tickets for anything, any kind of event, SeatGeek has you covered. SeatGeek does have you covered, indeed. So much stuff on here. You've got sports, music, lots more. And I particular, I, I go to a lot of gigs, Tay-Tay. I'm going to go see John Mayer. I've got my mm-hmm. tickets for that lined up. Um, but also uh, Arsenal playing Roma here in Charlotte, North Carolina this summer. There we go. I'm going to have a look, look and see, <laughs> geek, see, what, see what I can get in that Bank of America Stadium, baby. Yeah, I, I think you should <laughs> definitely do that. I think uh, for folks who have Gold Cup games uh, coming to their area, uh, you can always find some like good uh, prices, good good money for value, value for money uh, for games, especially <laughs> if you're like by the day before or a couple days before. There's usually some great opportunities there, and you can see some Gold Cup uh, action in person. Yeah. Um, SeatGeek is a company where the customer comes first. You can tell by their 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store. It's focused on making the experience as easy as possible. Uh, Ryan, uh, I'm glad that they've made it easy for you to see John Mayer, but is that really the person that you're most pumped to go see? Well... Are you, are you a John Mayer hater? Is that where we're going with this? I mean, it might be where we're going with this, yes. <laughs> He's a very talented guitar player, Taylor, I'll tell you that much. All right. But I will is that tell what it you, comes down like, to? Is it, is it the guitar? Yeah. Well, but I, I don't, I don't, you know, I suppose he's quite good at singing as well. There's that, and he writes good songs. He's a, he's a triple threat, baby. But uh, I, I think one of the things I like about uh, SeatGeek is, um, you know, John Mayer tickets aren't cheap these days, but they have mm-hmm. this rating system if you go on the site and if you go on the app uh, where it tells you if it's an amazing deal, and it kind of rates them on a scale of 1 to 10. So I find that really helpful. And like, uh, like uh, some of the other sponsors, like Robin Hood we have on this show, I love an app or a website where it's super easy and clean to use. And this one is exactly that. And also one other thing I'll say while I'm on my seat geek high horse, my high seat, do if you will, is the ability to sell <laughs> tickets because I'm a kind of guy who buys tickets when they come out on the day on the Friday at 10 a.m. when they go out. And then I realize I can't go to the event and I more often than not end up selling them on seat geek and sites like that. 
right. <laughs> I like the impulsiveness, but then you can cover the impulsiveness by being like, yeah. or was it just a shrewd investment? Uh, <laughs> and if you want to be sh- shrewd with your finances, uh, our listeners can get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Um, use promo code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for concerts, tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Remember, that's promo code TSS for $10 on your first purchase. Thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode, our weekend review. Ryan, where would you like to go next, uh, staying in the Premier League? Oh, I was going to say, can we go on to John Mayer's latest album? But I best uh, think we should probably stick with the soccer. Let's go to Hardest of hard passes. <laughs> well, talking about uh, not-so-hard passes, how about Arsenal mm. against Brighton? All right, <laughs> let's go to it. <laughs> oh man, like it, it's uh, look. I don't want to go like like be as hacky as I'm about to be, but like people kept asking me like, does anybody want top four? Is it like hilarious how nobody wants it? And I was sort of like, ah, yeah, I know, but like it's not that. And now I genuinely am like, is there some weird curse where nobody wants to be in the Champions League next season? Because I was pretty shocked by how bad Arsenal looked in this game. Yeah, not great, was it? I mean, all round pretty poor performance. Uh, I mean. <sighs> It's, it's another case. It's a, it's a similar situation to Manchester United and uh, and and, um, and, their, and their draw. I know same result, obviously, but just oh, they made Brighton look good, didn't they? I think better than yes. they are. I think is the point I should say. And a lot of players had absolute nightmares in this one. Granit Xhaka, looking at you, particularly that penalty giveaway. Have you ever seen a more I... a more bizarre decision being made in the box in the Premier League? I'm not sure I have. I mean. I probably because I feel like I've seen some like terrible defending with like handballs and just like shoving people over. Uh, who was it? I think uh, I forget the, the Liverpool defender who I always go back to is making like a very stupid challenge because it made my Liverpool friends very. Was angry. it Moreno? But it's usually Moreno. Take, it's probably Moreno. But I take your point because this was wrong from start to finish. It's Granit Xhaka leaving his man. He tries to get out to Sally Marsh. He can't. Qu- then he like takes the wrong angle. So then he ends up just kind of like basically trying to subtly like clip Marsh, yeah. which he does not do at all. It's very obvious if you watch the feet get tangled. And it's an obvious penalty. And it not one part of the decision-making process made any sense to me. Again, it speaks to a sort of, oh, we're flying through the air right now. I'm just going to try to improv a solution. But there's not a lot of like tactical plan for how to deal with a counterattack, which, again, I think speaks to maybe a lack of camaraderie or chemistry or overall locker room good vibes for Arsenal. Yeah, it seemed very odd. And, and the build-up to that penalty as well was Solly Marsh. He basically had the complete run of that channel. Lichsteiner basically yep. was on his own trying to defend that right channel, and he was caught out uh, further up the field. He had no support at all down that right side. So Marsh just doop-de-doop. He ran, I think, what, about 70 yards? And didn't bear, no one laid a glove on him until Xhaka decided to literally almost lay a glove on him and grab him and pull him down yeah. when he was nowhere, nowhere near the ball. So in a way, Xhaka was put in a hard position in, in that situation by, by the, the shortcomings of his team. Yeah, and then, I mean, and it could have been significantly worse for Arsenal. They do take the lead via a penalty. I, I would say a very uh, suspect penalty. Nacho Monreal goes down in a kind of challenge with uh, Jahan Baksh, the uh, Iranian attacker. And then we kind of went and looked at that again, or uh, I watched the replays of it a couple of different times. Jahan Baksh clearly gets the ball. I don't think he gets any of Montre- Monreal. I almost called him Montreal. Uh, and <laughs> then you can see that Monreal is kind of leaving his feet, dragging his feet. Definitely a dive. Referee had good position, should not have given it. I think it just it looks so much like from his angle there must be contact, even if there wasn't. I think that's where that uh, decision came from. But it's still the case that a fortunate penalty call was the only thing that 
gave Arsenal even getting a point out of this one, yeah. which is not something you would expect when they're playing against a, a team that is just outside the relegation zone, but still very much uh, near the bottom of the table. It, yeah, very odd. And I think, you know, that it was a well-sold penalty, I'd say. And uh, one, one of several examples from this weekend where VIR would have given, probably given a different decision um, should it be in still, which it will be next year, obviously. My question that came out of this game is, how is this team different from the Wenger team how has it moved on has it moved on because it seems to me it doesn't it hasn't really I mean not particularly tactically and certainly not in terms of results um I mean I mean it seems like another underwhelming finish to the season for Arsenal they need an absolute miracle to get into the top four now I think an eight goal swing and for Tottenham to lose on the final day is the only way they can get in aside from the Europa League and and you know the last game for Petr Cech, Aaron Ramsey, players like Danny Welbeck likely to be their last game. It just seems so underwhelming and it made me think this Emery project was supposed to be this exciting new start, but it hasn't really been and things haven't changed an awful lot. And you can bl- yeah. I mean, There's lots of things we can blame Emery for, such as the tactical setups and the, the aforementioned stuff on that, on that right channel. But also... You can blame the players too because we've had, you know, Xhaka put in comedy performances, Mustafi the same, you know, uh, uh, Mkhitaryan and Iwobi have an aversion to keeping the ball in their own possession a lot of the time. So it seems like a combination of errors on the field and these, you know, shortcomings of the manager as well. But it just seems like things haven't really moved on like one would hope they would. Are you with me on that? I'm with you on that uh, for the most part. I think I think it's it's a slightly more optimistic like like end to this. I think is what I'm going to go for. But I would say there's a sequence in there. I forget the minute. Where it ends with like a Glenn Murray header. But there's a penalty shout in there for Brighton. There's a lot of battling in the box. And if you go back and watch, it, it is very similar to me to like like Wenger Arsenal defending when people kind of don't quite know what's being asked of them. So you have Socrates like heading the ball straight up in the air. And then it's like Mustafa Lichtsteiner pulling jerseys a little bit or being a little bit too physical. But then there's like a lack of marking from other players. So it keeps leading to like secondary chances for Brighton. And all of that just felt to me like players kind of figuring it out. Uh, as like the moment came to them, and it's exacerbated by I think Leno. It's the one where he passes it straight to a Brighton player at the top of the box. Yeah. So again, it's that sort of like the passing isn't quite working. The kind of playing out of the back, the calmness under pressure. It's it's a all of the lack of those things does make it seem very Wenger. The thing I would say though is that similar to we had this question about like like given what we now know about Manchester United, should like was it all Jose Mourinho should he've been fired? Mm. And I still say the difference is that it's still Emery only getting what two windows and then there's even been, been chaos with uh Mislintot and I forget the other one. Uh but like there's like one of them is leaving, I think, and you as you said, they've got other players leaving. Uh Ramsey leaving on a free. Welbeck it seems like he's done. Yeah. And so it it seems like there's just kind of like behind the scenes chaos, but still more of a kind of plan going forward than I think Manchester United have. So it certainly isn't like a strong position to be ending on looking towards next season. But I do think if I had to choose between like, like, like who has, who should have the more optimism heading into next season, Arsenal fans or Manchester United fans? I think for me, it's definitely Arsenal fans. I'm not so sure about that. I might actually go the other way because if, if I'm looking to next season as an Arsenal fan, I don't know what changes for the better. I mean, there's still you know no sporting mm-hmm. director, no head of recruitment, no immediate philosophy coming from the top down. And the biggest difference between Arsenal and Man United is it doesn't look like it's going to be much to spend. There's some rumours going around that it's only going to be about £50 million of spending this summer. So they're going to probably spend less 
this year than last year because they've had higher wages come in this year. And, you know, they're a club who'd like to try and run things fiscally responsibly. So I, I see them being in a similar situation to United, except having less money. So they haven't mm. got that get out of going and splashing, splashing the cash. So it seems a bit more troublesome to me. Yeah. Okay. You, you've 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 helped me come around a little bit on it. Uh, not least because I, I did a quick check. Uh, yes, yeah, Sven Mislintat was their head of recruitment. He has left. He's joined Stuttgart. So right. that was the guy who was they thought was going to turn things around. Is not there. So I apologize if Arsenal fans have already tweeted at us. But yeah, you're right. Then like there is sort of still some backroom issues combined with yeah. I don't know what you do with some of the players or how you really change it up. So maybe you're right. Maybe both Arsenal and Manchester United fans should just be panicked for the offseason. Just impending doom for everybody. No, Nobody's going to be a big club anymore. Everything's bad. I mean, well, <laughs> see, you say that in jest, but like, but like it does feel a little bit like some of the results this weekend. It, it, I found myself sort of like, oh, that could have been a really interesting game. That could have been a really interesting narrative. And instead... It's kind of a letdown. Chelsea, Chelsea might be the outlier there, but I, I have some some thoughts on that one. Mm. But you look at like yeah, Spurs failing to get the result, Dortmund failing to get a result. Not like a lot of like big dramatic challenges at the end or big dramatic swings, and it just feels sort of like yeah, things are probably going to end up the way we kind of thought they were going to end up a couple weeks ago, yeah. and that's sort of a bummer. Uh, so why don't we talk Chelsea first? Because Chelsea have put themselves in strong position to get to the Champions League. That is not something we would have thought even a couple months ago, even a couple weeks ago, potentially. They get the 3-0 win over Watford. Mm. So the question I, I think that then leads to is, does that mean that Maurizio Sarri has not been a failure if they qualify for the Champions League? Uh, they look at times like they're coming together. At times in this game, they certainly did not. So I'm wondering, Ryan, what, what do you think of Maurizio Sarri's first year uh, based on what we know it's now? Or what we think we know. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? This game in particular, I thought, was a microcosm of the season. They were booed off by large sections of the crowd at half time, but yet mm-hmm. come back immediately after the half and uh, get, get the get the game closed out. They you know get the couple of goals almost immediately. And you know, Sari is a manager who came in with lots of promise. Obviously, done wonderful things in Serie A, relative relatively speaking. And as a man who said, I need a couple two to three seasons to get my philosophy uh, implemented here. And, you know, he has made some mistakes and there's been some players who, you know, I, I think he's showed like inflexibility at times. And definitely the, the crowd have turned on, turned on him more than once. That's fair to say. Lots of anti uh, sorry chanting we've heard from the Chelsea contingent this season. But then you look at the actual results here. We've got a top four finish. We've got reaching a League Cup final, potentially winning the Europa League. And that's all while dealing with all this negativity, uh, not having much rotation, uh, having pretty rubbish uh, strikers and, and a team obviously in transition. And particularly for this game, a team wearing very, very ugly, distracting shirts. Now, against all those odds, <laughs> he's achieved really good results. And if you'd have looked at let's go back to the start of the season. And you've got Sari, a man who said, I'm going to need time to get this right. And if, you, if he said, I'm going to get you top four at the end of the season, I'm going to get you to a, a domestic final, maybe going to win the Europa League too, you'd have definitely taken that. That is, he's reached the bar of expectation for a manager who wants time, right? Am I wrong in thinking that? Um, well, no, but I think I still don't know if it was a success because look at this game as an example. It's still N'Golo Kante, uh, 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 Jorginho, excuse me, and Kovacic starting as your three midfielders. And I think a lot of Chelsea fans have been really frustrated by, by the lack of inclusion of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Mm-hmm. He comes in uh, due to injury to N'Golo Kante. He comes in, in like the 10th or 11th minute, I think, and looks to be one of their stronger players. He ends up getting the first goal. Uh, and, and it's sort of 
again, it's like Maurizio Sarri eventually getting it right, but not necessarily because he decided like, yes, Ruben Loftus-Cheek gives me something that other players haven't been giving me. And, like Gonzalo Higuain scores a goal, and it's a really pretty goal. Was. And it makes you think like, okay, maybe they figured it out. But then you see all the other times that Gonzalo Higuain was static or moved away from the ball or just wanted a ball kind of in the box to see what would happen. And there are still some of those lingering concerns. And what it leaves me with is wondering if maybe Chelsea – have a release clause in Mauricio Sarri's contract if he hadn't qualified for the Champions League. It's what Manchester United had with David Moyes. As soon as he was mathematically eliminated from uh, qualifying for the Champions League, that's when he was sacked. Yeah. And I do wonder if maybe Chelsea were holding on just because that would have allowed them to do so at a much cheaper price. And now he's qualified, and it kind of forces their hand a little bit as to what their plans are going to be, given the <laughs> transfer embargo, the looming transfer embargo, I should yeah. say. Oh, no, this guy's actually got us into the top four. We can't sack him. Oh, yep. how bad for us. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, I mean, that that embargo, if indeed it does go ahead in, in this coming window, could be problematic for them. But I, I'm getting from what you're saying and from what a lot of people say is one of the biggest problems is that he doesn't use players at Loftus-Cheek. He's very rigid with his, uh, with, with his lack of rotation and doesn't perhaps use the tools that he has. And maybe he'll be forced to do so uh, when, those, when those transfer embargoes come in. And I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm very careful to say that he's been a failure because he hasn't failed. At the end of the day. Yeah, it, it, it's, it really does come – and this is, I guess, kind of what led us here was the conversation about some of the kind of depressing results of late from the other teams in the Premier League that, uh, you know, Spurs – like I would be way more concerned for them if I were a Tottenham fan if I weren't looking at Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United and their sort of – inability to kick into gear when it matters. And I think in a lot of other seasons, Spurs would be sixth right now. Yeah. But because of the way sort of the teams we've been talking about have been struggling, it doesn't feel quite such like a, a like you have to be at 90% capacity at all times or that like anything less than that and you're not going to make it. It does feel like this season, Chelsea have sort of found a way to finish top four, potentially even finish third. But it still doesn't feel to me like it's because Maurizio Sarri figured it out and they're building towards something. It feels like he had enough good players, a few who bought in and a few good results combined with the other teams in the league sort of not getting the job done. Yeah. I'm trying not to curse is basically what I'm getting at here. <laughs> but like, so I guess, I guess I wouldn't say it's a failure. I wouldn't say it's a success. I would say we're still sort of unsure. This summer will go a long way towards clarifying because if they sack him before the summer even starts, then we know they were not pleased. Yeah. If they like maybe just don't even appeal and let the transfer embargo happen this summer, then maybe they're looking at like, okay, we're just going to deal with it. We're going to keep him here. We're going to build around him. We're going to get rid of players if we have to, but we're going to kind of see what, what happens over the next year and then we'll decide. Mm. Then I think that shows you that they want to back him. But if they kind of fight the embargo, if they fight it, they get the, like, they appeal. It's postponed until January and then next summer, not this summer. And then they sack him. Or like, it, it, to me, that says, okay, then they really are just trying to rebuild completely or if they keep him then they're trying to rebuild around him so I feel like there's lots of varying factors that we'll know a lot more about in the very near future yeah. and that will I think help us make that decision one way or the other as to success or failure yeah definitely I just I'm just cautious that we are that the people are underselling him as well I mean if you did once again he, he, he could finish in third here could finish behind this Liverpool and this Manchester City team be the third best team behind those two and that's great that's really good for a Chelsea team of this caliber at the moment isn't it and once again this is a manager who said he needs two or three seasons and if this is the building block if this is the first season of that transition I, I don't think you can argue with it I mean uh, a transition season you wouldn't presume would result in Champions League soccer next season which it's going to so uh, I, I, can't, I just I just don't I think obviously 
Chelsea fans who watch it week in, week out, they have the right to complain. They, they don't like the style they've seen. They don't like certain players' performances and the certain things that Sarri's doing. But, it, you know, it, the numbers are on the board, That's, I suppose is my point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I take your I take your point, and like, not, not. I don't mean to belabor things, but I'm I'm like I, I'm enjoying this conversation. I would like to kind of like better get to the bottom of it because I think what it goes back to. I promise, I'm I'm in a good mood. I'm not depressed, everybody. Don't <laughs> worry. But it just, it feels like with Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, probably in that order or in reverse order, depending on how this goes. Like that, there's there are things to be optimistic about. More so for Chelsea, less so Arsenal, Manchester United. But it still feels like for everything that's positive, there was the footage yesterday of the fans talking to Aiden Hazard after the game yeah. like car to car and they said like stay with Chelsea and he kind of appears to shake his head no and it's like it like if it were Chelsea fans being like yes finally we're buying in and Hazard has looked his best and he's looked very good this season but it still looks like an Aiden Hazard who's very much focused on maybe being in Madrid next season yeah. not being in London and so even with Chelsea where it feels like there are these kind of steps in the right direction it feels like they're very quickly countered by other negative things and that's what to me usually at this point of the season we have like Okay, the, like Liverpool, Man- Manchester City, they're going to be great. They're going to keep being great. Tottenham, they've had some injuries. They need to sign a couple players. They'd be in strong position. I feel good about them. And then it's kind of a question mark. And I feel like normally we have at least one or two teams that are rounding into some sort of form or recognizable shape and approach. And it still feels like, sorry, he knows what he wants to do, but I don't know if the players have all bought into it. I feel like there's still a couple in there that absolutely don't want to do it and kind of don't like it. And I feel doubly so that way for Arsenal and Manchester United. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, we should give Chelsea credit for sticking with the plan when all else, all others in the top four race seem to have abandoned it. And there's one thing I didn't mention earlier, which I probably should mention, is Wolves. They're like circling like sharks in the tank right now, aren't they? I think if you're a Wolves sure fan, are. next season you're thinking, we're going to pick at least one of these off, surely, right? Yeah. Don't 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 give Ter- Daryl hope. I don't I don't I don't need you making Daryl feeling more optimistic and cocky about Wolverhampton than he already is. D- Daryl is not one to talk trash. He is getting real close to it. I feel like if, uh, if Wolves get a few more results, if United can't get a point off of them next season, I feel like I'm going to hear about it for a while. Yeah, Wolves haven't had good luck since like the forties, have they? Let's let him have this one. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, let's also <laughs> continue to talk about Premier League. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Liverpool's win over Newcastle, Bournemouth's win over Tottenham. But first, I wanted to talk about today's sponsor, Hims. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned sticking with a plan. That's what you should do. 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35. Once you've noticed that thinning hair, it can be too late. If you want to kind of keep the hair you have, you got to stick with a plan. And that's where 4Hims comes in because they're a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Absolutely, Tate. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed physicians and FDA-approved products to treat hair loss. There's no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. Who's buying their counter supplements at the gas station? Not sure. Uh, These are prescription solutions backed by science. Real gosh darn science, Tay-Tay. Wonderful stuff. And I've spoken. I've spoken previously about my uh, my lack of enthusiasm when it comes to having to call the doctor's office to make an appointment. Mm-hmm. But I will say this: I think when you think about like dealing with something like this in the abstract, it just seems like a whole thing, and it does make it like I therefore get not that I, I would, but I get the appeal of like I could make an appointment and figure it out and do the research, or. I could just buy this like supplement at a gas station and hope it works out. But Hims, the key thing here is that they make it really easy. There's no awkward in-person visits or long pharmacy lines that connect you with real doctors online. Mm. You can get it done very quickly. It saves you hours. It's confidential and discreet. So it just kind of makes a whole big thing into a much more 
easily approachable small thing. And that's what we're all going for. Here. Absolutely. And if you're an angry shut-in who barely leaves his house like me, that's really good that you can uh, save time not going uh, to the doctors and getting it all done online confidentially and discreetly. Hmm. And and you can uh, get the latest <laughs> the hair loss treatment for everyone is talking about. Uh, I'm just going to move quickly on from that. Uh, featured in GQ, Men's Health, Esquire, Playboy. Ryan, which of those magazines would you feel most like if you saw it in there, would you be like, oh, okay, okay, I see what they're doing here. Like, which one would give you the most confidence to go and uh, try it? Uh, well, as I was editor of Men's Health Online for three years, I probably should go with that one. That's, the, that's my chosen okay. brand there. That works. For, that works for me. But the so the others are great as um, well. Who doesn't love a Playboy advertisement? And uh, Esquire <laughs> and GQ as well. They're right up there. I mean, this, I, I think it speaks to the quality of this product. And I, I think that you know, um, there, there's a debate I have sometimes. Tate, would you mm-hmm. rather go completely grey or start balding? What's what 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 gives you the most fear? Because I, I my attitude is, I would go grey tomorrow if it meant I never lost any hair. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Uh, I would I would take that one as well because yeah. I've I've talked about it on the show before my hair my hairline has receded I haven't taken the appropriate steps so I think I would rather keep the hair that I have and just get you know gray hair is distinguished look at George Clooney that's what we all mm. think will end up being as opposed to the lunatic on the like with like hair all over the place and like gray strands uh, like matted together that's probably more my look than George Clooney but I would still go gray over yeah uh, like a full Costanza <laughs> I think that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty good choice yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's how I'm choosing to phrase it. So uh, our listeners can get started with him's complete hair kit for just $5 today right now while supplies last and subject to doctor's approval. See website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy somewhere else. So go to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash total soccer. Forhims.com slash total soccer. Thank you very much to Forhims for sponsoring us. Do not delay uh, to do that and do not delay to listen to us talk about some more soccer uh where should we move next ryan bailey well we got to talk about liverpool we should probably talk about tottenham how about we go to uh liverpool to st james's park okay uh, i wanted to start this one off by the way with uh, arlo white's commentary uh, i don't know if you listen to it actually okay. if you actually go to the nbc sports website and you look at the extended highlights the first 40 seconds are arlo white going into a long uh, game of thrones metaphor did you hear this one yeah I, I so I like heard bits. Of, I was like, I had just told my wife about how much I enjoy Arlo White, and then she got focused on that his name is Arlo, similar to the Wally <laughs> conversation. She was like, "Is that a common name in England?" And I did not know the answer. It is but not. Throughout that, I was hearing random like Iron Throne and and like different little mentions of like who will be, like who will sit on the Iron Throne. And I was like, "Is that what we're going for in this game?" I did not realize it was that. good. I actually transcribed some of it. If you'll if you'll allow me please, to read, please, it. please. Jurgen Klopp will send his red dragons out to scorch the St James's Park turf so he can spend oh, another long night on the Iron Throne. Lost in <laughs> Lose in the North and his claim to the throne will fizzle out like a Dothraki cavalry charge. Rafa Benitez bent the knee to House St. James. He'll demand Newcastle stand their ground like Brienne of Tar and produce a late dagger like Ariana Stark. Lots of spoilers in there, Arlo. Lots of spoilers if you haven't caught up with this season, but I thought that was quite a, a fun way to introduce this game. Boo! <laughs> That's what I say to that. <laughs> Extend, extended, pre-written analogies to a game. Just talk about the game. Just talk. You know, about I'm the game. with that it. That feels like what no. I was like. Like he he didn't want to throw in like a BTS reference and then be like, "See, kids, I'm hip. I'm cool. I know what's going on. I'm in the I'm in the pop culture. Come on, I'm all the way." 
That's my other white impression. I, I think it's pretty good. It was, yeah, so you, right you enjoyed it though. You like you like the story building that he was going for, I, albeit with spoilers. I love that when you go on Arlo's Twitter and he, sh- he shows you his really fastidious note taking and the different colored you know post it notes and stuff yeah. he uses. He's clearly a, a well prepped man. So I just imagine him smiling to himself the night before writing that one out. I think that that amuses me more than anything else. And there's some good analogies in there, if, if not slightly spoiler tastic, as I say there. But uh, see, if, if you wait, hold on, hold on. But now, now I'm obsessed with the idea though that like. Like he he I, he had to have told his his uh, co-commentators uh, Graham Lasseau and Lee Dixon he had to have told them like guys clear out I've got this great Game of Thrones bit to start just let me go with it it's gonna kill and then you can jump in and I feel like that ended with them sort of being like yeah and so anyway Liverpool are in like, I, I, <laughs> and they went straight into I'm tactics. gonna say I don't think Graham Lasseau watches Game of Thrones you don't think so he was famously in his career he went antiquing and stuff like that on the weekends I think it's below him. I think popular culture is okay. below Graham Lasso. I'm going to say he's watching Gentleman Jack and not uh, Game of Thrones. I think he's reading, he's watching the, uh, reading from his extended library, which smells of rich mahogany. I think that's what Graham Lasso is doing. Oh, I like, I like that. Okay, well, I suppose we should uh, <laughs> not do what Ola White didn't do and talk about and not talk about this game. Uh, we, I kind of want to start with this, Ryan. I've got another – that was a whole word puzzle. Don't do what you. Donnie Don't uh, does. That's what you just did there. Yeah, exactly. Nailed it. Perfect. You got it. Here's my question for you, Ryan. M- more hypotheticals. So Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, could have been sent off uh, in yes. the lead-up to the first Newcastle goal. Shot was like blocked. He definitely blocked it with his elbow. Newcastle still end up scoring um, to make it 1-1 to at that point. Game finishes 3-2, obviously, which leads me to this question. Which would you prefer in that moment? Uh, like, I'm not saying the referee got it wrong. It's just like general question. Would you rather have the penalty and the possibility of scoring, but also the possibility of missing and the player sent off, the opposition player sent off? Or would you rather know you've got the goal, even if it means that the other team still has 11 men? Uh Penalty and red card every time, surely, because only because mm-hmm. this was in what the twentieth minute. If it had been in the eighty-fifth yep. minute, I think it's a different answer. But this is the twentieth minute. You've yeah. potentially got seventy-something minutes of playing against ten men and the chance to get the goal from the penalty spot as well. That's that's an easy question. I, I think it's this is this was really controversial, wasn't it? Because did, did the rules change on this like relatively recently? Because I I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, he obviously play. You know, advantage was given and the goal went in, but it means that no red card was shown at all. So, what would be the instance where, say, like someone nearly broke someone's leg and a goal was scored? Would they not get a red card in that instance? Uh, I, I think it. I think I don't know this for sure. I know that like with like the dog so rule changing that now it's like if you're making a legitimate play on the ball, you don't get the red card. You get a yellow card, and then the penalty is given. Mm. Um, I think maybe there's a move towards you don't want to do double punishment whenever possible. So maybe it is that if there still seems like it's going to be a scoring opportunity, you don't punish and see what happens, and you kind of hope for the goal from open play. And if that doesn't happen, then the red card comes in. But it's a good point that like yeah, if somebody is maliciously going in on a player it means that they're inclined to do that again or at least do it once and maybe maybe again after that so then yeah it seems like it's kind of for the safety of the player you want to get the the kind of violent conduct uh, committing player off the field yeah. so then it does get a little bit more confusing for sure yeah definitely and I think I think Liverpool got off lightly there and also this goal did kind of expose some of, I, I thought a lot in this game Liverpool were doing some Brendan Rodgers era defending weren't they a lot of sort of misgivings going on there uh, you know when the cross came in uh, for, for that for that equalizer Matt Ritchie was completely unmarked in the box he just sauntered in from the left channel where he was also he once again to use a rec team we've talked to rec team about rec teams a lot in this podcast so far but he was out wide on his own like that terrible rec team player who nobody you don't worry about marking him he'll be fine and just 
jogs into the box <laughs> completely on yep. his own, nobody even turning their heads to see if he's there, and ends up getting on the end of the cross. So it's that that felt like you know pre- potential Premier League champions should have had a better handle on that situation, in my opinion. Obviously, they got away with it with the with the um, with Trent Alexander Arnold as well. So I think two. You know, that was an interesting incident, but for me, not the most controversial incident of this game. Uh, I'm guessing you're alluding to the free kick at the very end that leads to the Divacarigi goal, somehow not given as an own goal. Uh, I, I watched it enough times to think, I guess I can see why it was Origi, but maybe it should have been an own goal. But I think all that pales in comparison to what, what Fabinho did to get that free kick in the first place. Yeah, that'll be the controversial incident to which I'm referring. You know, uh-huh. yards away from the assistant referee, Fabinho hits the deck probably wasn't fouled that's my assessment of the situation and yet you know creates a goal scoring a game winning opportunity a potential title swinging opportunity there (sighs) disappointing wasn't it I mean especially given like the AR is right there has a good view of it there's definitely a little bit of battling and so I can understand why maybe there's an inclination to give that of like oh there's a little jersey pulling there's some elbows they're definitely physical and I think if you're not watching the feet you could think like oh yeah he probably tugged him maybe there was a little bit of a clip yeah it seemed like a foul you go back and watch it there is none of that I think Fabinho basically recognizes this has not gone the way I thought it was going to go Uh, I don't really know what else I'm going to do with this ball I'm going to go down and see what I can get and maybe just kind of assumed that they would give it because the AR doesn't want to not give a penalty that could end up like costing them the title so maybe that's where it comes from but either way it's definitely a dive so that's a little bit uh on the negative on the positive is what comes out of it if you're a Liverpool fan especially is the goal the game winner but it also I found it interesting that uh we see yet another reason why Virgil van Dijk is so important to this Liverpool team scores the winner with a uh or scores the opener excuse me uh with a great header gets open you should probably mark Virgil van Dijk in the box yeah don't don't leave him completely uh, free the big the big guy who's good with his head don't leave him completely free in your box there's a little tip for all the other premier league teams I, and he i really enjoyed that i think it was domit who like was marking him then slips and falls doesn't get to him and then angrily gestures around like come on someone's got to mark him and it's like <laughs> dude you know what you're doing here you know that's on you and there is video evidence but then with this free kick it's virgil van dyke uh trent alexander arnold lining up to take it virgil van dyke basically sends over jerdan shakiri who has subbed on to take it uh, he hits it with the left foot, so it swings in, and then I think that causes more problems than if it had swung away from goal, uh, because swinging in, it's going to be on frame, so I think defenders panic a little bit more. Goalkeeper maybe a little bit more uncertain, and I do think that factors into this ending up in a win for Liverpool. Do you think an, out- an in-swinger in that situation is always more difficult to defend than an out-swinging right foot, then, from that channel? Because I, no, I can see it both ways. Like, always... Uh, yeah, I can too. But I think in that moment, it, like so late in the game when emotions are high, but there's going to be fatigue. And I think anytime it seems like, oh, that ball's coming right at us, everybody's got to try to make a play. And I think it leads to more scrambling and less like defensive rigidity, which I think you kind of have to have to defend those late game set pieces. Yeah, I think if it's late in the game, if it's swinging away, it makes me feel a bit more like, okay, we can step out. It's not as much of an immediate threat. Even if they get a header on it, it's it's by nature going to be a few few yards out as opposed to a few yards closer. So more time to react, more time to make a save. It definitely would make me feel less panic to have that ball swinging away from goal for sure in that moment at least. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And obviously a, a very clutch win for Liverpool. Did you see uh, Jurgen Klopp mm-hmm. said a naughty word on TV afterwards when he was uh, describing Divock Origi's contribution? He said it was effing unbelievable and then sort of oops banana skin yeah of course he 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 loves to have those moments where it's like oh i don't know what i'm doing haha i know exactly what i'm doing he swears a lot Uh, on camera doesn't he 
I, I think he does. Just, for, he does. For not even being his native language, it's impressive his commitment to swearing. I'm going to guess there were uh, other things that made him swear even more loudly in this game, such as the injury to Mohamed Salah. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about that for a moment. Uh, Salah goes in uh, for a ball over the top. Uh, it gets a kind of hip to the head uh, from Dubrovnik, the Newcastle goalkeeper. Not intentional, obviously, no. Dubrovnik playing the ball. But it hits Salah. You can see his kind of head jerk in a way that tends to indicate that a concussion has happened and the fact that he then does not protect himself on the way down so that his head bounces off the ground in a very aggressive way. All of that seems to indicate concussion uh, has since been confirmed, and that means that Mohamed Salah will miss uh, the Champions League semifinal, the second leg. Under FIFA protocols, a player cannot return to competitive action for at least six days after a head injury. So Mohamed Salah will be out for the second leg uh, of Newcastle, uh, excuse me, of Liverpool's uh, Champions League semifinal against Barcelona. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a huge, yeah probably. <laughs> it's a huge shame, isn't it? And obviously, uh, no one can help those circumstances. It wasn't Dubrovnik's fault, as Dubrovka's fault, as you say. Uh, um, it just mean it just means that that Champions League game is basically it's done, isn't it? I mean, when you've got Did Fami- I call him Dubrovnik? I feel like I might have called him Dubrovnik. You might which have just a- means that I have Game of Thrones on the brain. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we all have. Um, it, it just means that you know, no Fami- Firmino, no Solara in that game. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of trouble, isn't it? It's a big shame that that's happened. Yes. So I think that's why you see uh, Shakiri come on, you see Origi come on. So my guess is that it'll be like Origi in the Firmino role, maybe, and then Shakiri. Uh, starting from Hamad Salah, but yeah, as Jurgen Klopp said, like there's always belief, but when you're missing like two of the three best strikers in the world, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a difficult situation. Yeah, and Barcelona are quite good at defending these days as well, so yeah, it's gonna be trouble that one, I yeah, predict. There's, there's that too, and then uh, Tottenham, the other Champions League semi-finalist from England, mm. didn't really help themselves out uh, in their one-nil loss to Bournemouth. Um, so the first question we have here, Ryan, uh, is are Tottenham getting Spursy, which led me to want to ask you. What is Spursy? How would you define Spursiness? This. That's basically it. I mean, you, you, look, at, you, okay. look, at, well, you look at the Tottenham's current situation, what they've lost five of their last six in all competitions. The only team they've beaten in that spell is Brighton. They've been pretty poor away from home for a while. I, I suppose the definition of Spursy is when the, when, when the uh, kitchen starts to get hot, you don't want to get out of that kitchen. I've terribly mangled that one, but basically, you know, not, notwithstanding pressure very well. And, it seems to me like, you know, they, they lost before the other, you know, they had a poor performance before the, uh, the, uh, the first leg of the Champions League. And they've done it again here. And obviously some key players missing. But, you know, you've got Son coming back and really stupid behavior for him to get his red card. And from one foot as well, a really silly challenge. And I just I didn't see this result coming at all. And it was a bit disappointing from Tottenham, to say the least. I'd say... I'll say I didn't either. I, I have in my notes that basically Tottenham had the game I thought Liverpool would have, given like the kind of Champions League letdown. I really thought – I texted my Liverpool friends, like, like I have a feeling this Newcastle game is not going to go like the way we would expect. Mm-hmm. And it was the Tottenham game that instead kind of lived up to that because it was Tottenham looking both like frustrated and annoyed all at once that they like – you could see the moments of the kickouts and the kind of rash challenges, but then also just sort of the like lack of cohesion that you see of a team who are in that like, ah, oh, things haven't gone the way we wanted – when the pass doesn't come off, it's more frustration than like, okay, but the next one will. Or when you miss a shot, instead of it being like, okay, we'll get the next one, it's more of a like, the people who didn't get the ball, hands up in the air. And there were just yeah. those moments that to me looked like a team who were sort of emotionally adjusting to, like still emotionally adjusting from sort of the downturn in form and the loss to Ajax. Yeah, definitely emotional adjustments here. Perhaps, perhaps Taylor, they weren't listening to uh, Richie Pochettino and what he was saying because they got beat by Arke. Beat by Okay, beats by. Okay. There we go. 
Is this thing? Is this thing did on? I, you want to throw that one out too? Did that one work? Did I get that one? Did I pull that I, one off? I, I think. I think it did. I think it did. I'll, I'll give you that Thanks. one. I'll give you that one. Uh, if only because uh, you're not Daryl. I refuse to acknowledge <laughs> Daryl's pods. But I'll, I'll let Ryan slide through. Thanks. Um, but but like but I still I'm also still though confused by this one because for Pochettino, like of the two Champions League uh, fixtures that are remaining, you would think that Spurs have the are the more likely to be able to turn that one around. Given that, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a tough ask for Liverpool, especially with the injuries, especially with the result of the first leg. So for him to kind of play a pretty much full strength lineup and then to end up having to play after what the forty eighth minute, I think it was, fourth gets the red card. So then you're playing two men down. That means what? Like Danny Rose, I wrote it down. Dan- Danny Rose, Kieran Trippier, Christian Eriksen, Lucas Mora, uh, Deli Ali, all playing a full match down two men. Yeah. That's not ideal in terms of keeping them physically fit and 100% for that second leg. Not ideal prep, yeah. And obviously Tottenham not coming into this one on the best one. And obviously, as we say, their away form is pretty poor as well. All signs point towards Ajax and Barcelona, or Bajax, as I think I called them <laughs> earlier in this I show. I you did earlier. The Bajax final. Yeah. I think we're getting the Bajax final, aren't we? I don't think... I mean, <laughs> what, what chance would you give Tottenham in that Ajax game? It's got to be very slim, hasn't it? And obviously stranger things have happened to this team and, to, and in this game, but... I can't see anything. I really, else. I honestly, I, I was, I was very optimistic for Tottenham heading into the second leg, just because I felt like Urente was so slow. We talked about this on the show last week, and Urente like, was so slow to like seize opportunities and to run into space. And I think Son would have been much faster. And I do think that Spurs having Son and Lucas Mora up top and kind of combining and being mobile and causing—I mean, Lucas Mora was still causing problems in this game mm. in the 94th minute when he was like kind of up top by himself and had no help. So I did think. Of the two against Spurs, it seemed far more likely to turn it around. And then this result happened. And, you know, they still may well win. And then that will be the narrative of, like, I can't believe they pulled it back. But given the way this game went, and again, that, like, the frustration and the annoyance with each other, I, I was really, really surprised to see that. And if that continues, which it seems like it will, I will be very surprised if Spurs are able to get something against Ajax, which I feel like means I've just queued Spurs winning 3-0 away. Yeah, and also, if I was going to put a slight silver lining on this, I thought Dele Ali had a fairly decent game in this one, having mm-hmm. had some poor ones recently. I mean, he had a couple of good chances early on. I think uh, he had a decent header. But uh, um, Bournemouth's keeper, Travers, the 19-year-old, uh, Asmir Vegovic, yeah. not even in the squad for this one. Ouch. Oof. Yep. Yikes. Travers did very well. Made some big saves, kept them in it, and obviously they end up getting the win. I will say there was some sort of like, I've, I've seen some people downplay this a little bit as like how, if you're Bournemouth, does it take you 91 minutes to score against ten or nine men, and then for most of the game, 10 men, because the first red card is, I guess, 43rd minute. So yeah, it's, it's uh, I guess, most of the game playing nine men. Mm. But my answer to that is like, it is... Really, really difficult to play against nine men, as strange as that sounds, because in my experience, even if you know, look, this team is still going to be very good, they're very technical, yes, they're shorthanded, it's like, like, but like, we shouldn't let that factor into it, we just got to go out there and play our game. It is so hard to not let that factor into your sort of decision making. Like, oh, well, we've got two men, I don't need to track back as much. Oh, we've got two extra men, I don't really need to mark here, I don't need to do this. Or like, oh, I lost the ball, but we'll get it back, we've got like a two-man advantage. Yeah. And it, if you start playing into that, 
then you really take your foot off the gas, even if you don't mean to. And then at the same time, there's this pressure of like, but we have a two-man advantage. Why haven't we scored yet? Why haven't we gotten two goals? Why don't we have more possession? And it starts to get into your head. And so, like, I'm not saying like, and so Bournemouth did really well to find a goal, but it it wasn't surprising to me that it took so long for them to do so, especially once Tottenham got a bit more defensive. But it's still the case that they find a way to do it. And it's a credit to Bournemouth, who now are uh, comfortably mid-table and I think uh, will likely stay that way because I doubt they're going to drop... Significant points in the remaining game of the yeah, season. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Perhaps that cliche belongs in the 2-0 is the most uh, difficult def- uh, uh, lead to defend kind of uh, box <laughs> of cliches. But uh, <laughs> it makes me think maybe Cardiff should have just started nine men a few more times this year. Yeah, exactly. The that's obviously advantage. the solution. And then it all would have gone to plan. Yeah. Uh, one, one, one more question for you uh, about this game. So the incident with uh, Hillman Son in the first yeah. half, uh, free kick given. I think he's kind of frustrated in the moment or just I'm not even sure how angry he is. But Lerma, basically Son is like reaching down to get the ball. Lerma steps in ostensibly to kind of poke the ball away to be able to restart play. Definitely steps on Son's foot. I'm wondering... Do you think that was intentional or do you think that doesn't really matter? I guess is, is the other question is like, was he trying to do it or should it not matter at all because Son should know better and not respond? I think that doesn't matter because I think that's, that's a kind of acceptable gamesmanship that Lerma was doing there. And also he might have seen seconds before a very high challenge from Son. In. So I think yeah. he's maybe, maybe read the room a little bit there and thought, yeah, I can take advantage of this. I don't see this as a problem. I think that's just complete stupidity from Hong Min Son. Um, very uncharacteristic too. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I was, and then, and then, as you said earlier, I was really surprised by the fourth red because if, if you go back, if you're watching it, the commentator is like literally saying in that moment that the uh, like uh, Pochettino makes two halftime subs. He takes off Toby Alder, Toby Alderweireld and uh, uh, Eric Dyer, uh, both because they were on yellow cards, concerned about them getting a second yellow, and like obviously he doesn't want to have to contend with a second booking or another sending mm. off. And then like two seconds later, that challenge happens, and it's a straight red for fourth, and that really throws yet another wrench into the game plan because Eric Dyer could have been sent oh, that's, off. That's, yeah, we haven't had, even talked about that. He he definitely yeah. should have had a red card for that, shouldn't he? Basically kicking the back of Callum Wilson's ankles like that in the box. Oh, that oh that one you mean? Yeah. Okay, because that's that's the crazy thing is there's multiple because he gets a yellow <laughs> on the 11th. Then he breaks up a tackle, breaks up a counterattack. He claims he gets ball. I guess the referee had the whistle in the mouth and then decided, no, maybe he got ball and lets it play on. Replay shows he did not yeah. get ball. Definitely got all man. So that could have been a second yellow. And then, yes, there's the one in the box where he basically and we've seen this given before I think Aaron Ramsey is one that's had it called on him before where basically even if you're trying to clear if you don't know the player is there and you kick the player while trying to kick the ball in the box that's always going to be a penalty and I think it's a reckless kick which means a yellow card so he could have gotten three different yellow cards in this game instead only gets one but it doesn't really end up mattering because Spurs finish with nine anyway. yeah and I think that's VAR would have been all over that one in the box next season surely yes lucky uh, yes I, I would I would say so. Uh, so that's going to be our like Premier League roundup. We've talked about a lot of the Premier League. We've got a few continental uh, games to discuss or a few uh, teams in Europe to get to. But first, we should mention the championship uh, with the close of the regular season, I guess is how I'm going to phrase mm-hmm. that. Uh, Norwich officially champions. Uh, Sheffield United also advance. Middlesbrough and Bristol City uh, fail to make the playoffs, which means we've got uh, Leeds versus Derby, West Brom versus Villa. Uh, both those games are on May 11th and the second legs on May 14th. Uh, I am I am pretty pumped about that uh, West Midlands derby, yeah. even though I have no loyalties to either team. I know Daryl's very good friend Hugh is a Villa supporter, so I think we have up the Villa uh, written on our chalkboard by Hugh before he left to go back to England. <laughs> so maybe that has me leaning towards Villa. 
Is there one of the four teams here, Ryan, that you're particularly rooting for to uh, make a run and find their way into the Premier League? Uh, anyone believes? I mean, no, no, I don't. I don't have a particular <laughs> preference. Uh, I, I do think that in this, we've got the perfect setup for these playoffs. Though it, it couldn't have been any better. Leeds United against Frank mm-hmm. Lampard's Dar- Derby County. Not allowed to call them Derby County, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, who, who, Leeds United's manager unsubtly digging out Frank Lampard's tactics earlier in the season when he was accused of spying, and then of course the uh, the Midlands Derby as well. So two lovely pairs of fixtures there and I think this is great news for particularly for, for Frank Lampard's career if he does manage to get that team up uh, particularly being in the bottom slot of the playoffs there because I mean how long until he becomes Chelsea manager if he does take this prim- uh, team up to the Premier League I think is the question we would ask ourselves uh, although I, I, I predicted a much more tricky game for them against West Brom uh, I thought because based on previous all my pre- previous matches against West Brom but I think uh, West Brom also started a stronger team than I thought they would do. They had like uh, Jay Rodriguez, Mason Holgate, uh, you know, uh, Gibson and uh, uh, Dawson. They all started. Mm. But I think maybe there was an element of them being on the beach and taking it a little bit easy. They'd already got um, fourth place uh, pretty much guaranteed in, in, uh, in, the, in the playoffs. So I think there was a, a case of them, let's just pump you know take it take our foot off the gas a little bit for the actual big playoffs coming up here so yeah i'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty excited about these upcoming uh playoff games it's the playoffs are always really exciting to me because like it is just that sort of you know not just the monetary aspect but it's always interesting the way they do it to have the one team like earn their way in in those final few mm. games but they're especially interesting to me this time around for everything you've just outlined like the the managerial battle such as it is in Leeds versus Derby and then the kind of regional rivalry and all the emotion that will be in store there uh, I, yeah I am I am pumped for these games more so than I am for the uh, like final rounds of the Premier League in a lot of ways so yeah thanks to the championship for being exciting and thanks championship uh, thank, thanks to Dortmund for I have in my notes being Spursy. Yeah, so that was my question. Who, who, was, who was Spursier this weekend? Was it Spurs or was it Dortmund? I, th- I'm going to say. Yeah, Dortmund. I think I think it might have been Dortmund. I mean, it's pretty big capitulation from Spurs, but Dortmund had the chance to you know keep up the pace with uh, with um, with Bayern Munich in the title race, having you know uh, messed up last weekend against their fierce local rival Schalke. Uh, Bayern were playing relegated Hanover, got an easy win there, so you know uh, chance to at least keep the pace up in the final uh, couple rounds of the Bundesliga. No, ended up with a 2-2 draw. Nope. I mean, I, I did a preview of this game and you could definitely tell there was going to be goals in this game based on their previous instances. I think I said if you don't bet on there being over three and a half goals, you're a darn fool, which there was in the end. But, you know, it, but, Claudio Pizarro ruining the I mean, season, well, ruining the title race for yeah. us. <laughs> This, the Spursiness is a great narrative for this one because it starts with uh, like Christian Pulisic, like the young, exciting player who maybe hasn't had the best of seasons. I was pretty critical of him last week. This is the type of performance I really have been wanting to see from him. Yeah. Finally, do he starts on the left? He has a great solo run uh, for the first goal. It's like gets past the defender, beats another defender, then like very calmly passes it past the goalkeeper. It's everything you want, and it feels like okay, exciting young playmaker doing mm-hmm. things. Then it's a great free kick from uh, Paco Alcazar, and again, it's like okay, and now this like their talismanic striker who keeps finding a way. To score goals, has found a way to score another goal, and now they're two nil up, and everything seems good. And then uh, Movild scores uh, for <laughs> for Werder Bremen off of maybe a deflection. I don't think so. It just goes through the legs of Roman Berkey. And, uh, and before that goal, by the way, Pulisic nearly made it three nil because he got on the end of a very mm-hmm. nice Mary Goetz across cross. So we could have had an even better performance from Pulisic from this one before uh, the wheels started to come off. But I'll let you continue. 
And then, well, no, that's fine because like it's it was a strong game from him, and uh, I got a lot of stick because again, I, I was talking about how I didn't feel like we've seen enough of him in these moments, kind of being that front and center pl- player. Mm-hmm. So to see him raise his game when it really mattered was was great, but it still ends up in a two two draw because the final se- the final goal here, and this is the one that I was just sort of like, wow, you guys are. Uh, Really not trying to keep the pressure on Bayern <laughs> Munich because it's it's just kind of an aimless ball played uh, into like the defensive third for Dortmund, but Jaden Sancho has not stepped at all. Like he's like thirty yards behind the play. I kept watching this and I was like being premature, trying like and not letting it play out because Sancho is so far or so slow in stepping that he's off screen. And so I kept being like, why why is Augustinson not wildly offside? I don't get this. And then eventually I realized, oh, it's because Jaden Sancho has just failed the step. But then uh, it still is the ball rolling out of bounds. Akanji then does the kind of thing that we see defenders do all the time of, okay, well, I'm just going to step between the ball and Augustinson. I'm going to let it roll out. It'll be a goal kick. And then he basically just loses that battle. Augustinson wants it more and kind of bodies Akanji off the ball pretty easily, plays it back, and it's 2-2, courtesy of Claudio Pizarro, as you said, and it just felt like a comprehensive great start and then just complete meltdown from Dortmund. And again, it goes to my point that it's like another example of that like challenging team seeming like they're doing it and then just kind of falling short. Yeah, big shame. And obviously Pulisic, as we say, had a very good game. I think it was the 87th minute. He almost got on the end of a, I think Alcacer passed it to him on the edge of the box. He sort of ran around a few descenders and dragged his shot wide. So he's almost the hero of this one with a late winner. So the narrative could have been very different in this one uh, but not for want of trying from uh, from our boy Christian but uh uh, uh, Lucien Favre last week said that the title race was over, so I can only imagine it's doubly over for him now. Four points behind now. Double double secret over. Double secret over. <laughs> I think it is. Um, it could could be worse uh, for Christian Pulisic. He could be Gareth Bale. At least Pulisic knows where he'll be well, next it's, season. It's, it is going to be worse for him because confusion. he's going to be wearing that god awful shirt next season, isn't he? Which we didn't touch. <laughs> you on really that. didn't like the Chelsea. Did shirt, you like huh? it? I mean, it, the design is. I think they said it's bits of architecture from Stamford Bridge. So they've gone. Let's get one of the least attractive stadia in the Premier League and let's take bits of it and cut them up and put it on our shirt so it looks like something that's made out of nylon in 1992. Yeah, job done. No! What? See, I... Okay, like, jerseys, 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 sometimes they're great, sometimes they're awful and that's just kind of the way it goes. What I... What made me go from, like, meh to, like, no, I do not like it is the fact that it's next season's jersey. It's not next season right now. Why are you wearing next year's jersey? That does not make any sense to me. Unless they're really hell-bent on, like, see, here's a reason for excitement. Look at our new jersey. Like, I just, that was very confusing to me. I don't quite get why you would debut it in the current year. I mean, lots of teams do that, to be fair, and have done in the past. But, yeah, I agree. I I think it it takes away from the fresh excitement of seeing a new kit next season. Yeah, I want to see those kits debut in the International Champions Cup. Give that some bit more cream. Of course. (laughs) All right, that's a solid point, and uh, I retract my previous objection. Yeah, nobody wants that. Uh, but I am still curious what happens to Gareth Bale. Was not in the Madrid squad for their 3-2 win over Villarreal, mm. I believe it was. Um, and uh, according to Marca, has been told he is uh, not in the plans for next season. I think uh, Marcos Llorente was told the same. Maybe Asensio as well. I think there's a couple other ones that have been theoretically told they can find a new club, which seems odd because I think Gareth Bale's contract goes until at least 2021, maybe 2022. So telling him to find a new 
club seems like that's kind of on them as opposed to he can just kind of sit there and continue to rake in lots of money for uh, potentially not playing for Madrid. Yeah, it's a curious position. 17 million euro a year and you're right, through 2022 is his current contract and he is showing very little interest in uh, playing in a white shirt at the moment. I think he got dug out by Zidane last week for that uh, in that loss to Rayo Vallecano um, for underperforming and I mean you could look at his performances this season and say he's arguably well underperformed particularly when he had the chance to step out from Cristiano Ronaldo's shadow this was his big chance to do what you know the president mm-hmm. of Real Madrid wanted him to do to be that box office uh, player for Real Madrid he just hasn't hasn't done it hasn't stepped up and for all the good moments yeah. that Bale's had in the show you know the, the Champions League final goal the, that goal where he ran five yards off the field and still outran the player and scored yeah. you know all those lovely moments he's had it, it, it's just been ruined by I mean it seems like a lack of desire at the moment and obviously injury which kept has kept him out for about 50% of available minutes and it's I mean there's even rumors going around that he could actually just retire because you know he he, he he likes golf more than soccer it seems at this point he could just sit out until 2022 and get his 17 million euro a year and not sign for another club, and that's his way for a guaranteed big fat check for the next few years. I mean, that's a pretty viable option if you're not really into it, isn't it? Oh, the the most hilarious thing about that to me that I just realized I hadn't considered he could do that. But if he did that, that basically means he's like kind of not going to play for Wales anymore because even if he is still like one of their better players, if not their best player, if he's not playing at all, not training regularly, you probably don't want to call him in. Then I was like, oh, poor, oh, wait, it's Ryan Giggs who famously did not play for Wales. So I do kind of love the idea of Ryan Giggs then having to deal with a potential star player uh, not being in a, put himself in a position to actually be able to play for the national yeah, funny team. funny how it works. That would be some sweet, sweet poetic It justice. really would, yeah. Uh, but I... But I do. I did. I said it earlier. I feel like, given the way Manchester United are going, and the fact that they tend to make stupid signings to like cover up the cracks, it feels like Ed Woodward still thinks giving a bunch of money to Real Madrid to get Gareth Bale is the way to show that, like, oh, we're still a big team. We're still even if we don't have Champions League. And I do think that maybe Gareth Bale is going to be thrown in as part of some package for Paul Pogba. I think that there's going to be a lot of rumors. I think Real Madrid are going to be aggressive in trying to get Pogba this summer. Uh, and I think maybe that could be the other way we see it happen. Is like, oh, we're getting rid of Paul Pogba because it hasn't quite worked. We're going to rebuild, and the rebuild's going to start with Gareth Bale. Like I said, that's come on, a foolish way to sell it. Far too intelligent to sign a player on really big wages who might not perform week in week out and might be a bit too old. Oh, wait, no. No, I see carry what you're on. doing. I see what you're doing, and I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's. I think it's also just that there are so few other suitors out there, to my mind. Like in the past, I think we we would have said PSG, but they've got financial fair play restrictions, theoretically, even though they never will actually get those enforced. But uh, they've got other big name players in there who they would probably have to get rid of if, say, Neymar went to Real Madrid. Maybe that's the swap deal, and PSG like take Gareth Bale to sell some jerseys. But I really, short of him going to the Middle East or getting a massive offer from somewhere in Russia or somewhere in the United States, I don't really know where else he could go like that theory, like that really makes sense to me. Ryan, do you have any nominees? I think it, can, it depends on his motivation. If he does still want to keep playing and keep playing at the high level, I could see somewhere like Bayern, particularly when we see Ribery and Robin um, stepping out at, at the end of this season. I could see him maybe becoming a wide player there, but that would involve a big pay cut. And I, I, it yeah. does depend on his motivation. Does he want to go and play golf every other day and get his, you know, <laughs> one and a half million a month, beautiful situation that would be, 
Or does he want to go and try and you know potentially keep getting injured, keep showing you know the lack of interest that he showed, have to start off once again being nearly thirty, having to prove himself at another big club? I, I mean, as much as he should want to play, I can understand if he didn't want to. Yeah, and so I mean that's the thing is like if he it really comes down to is he going to be aggressively all in to kind of reestablish himself as this top level. Uh, soccer player, in which case, yeah, maybe he does take a massive pay cut to go somewhere where he can really mm. continue to develop or further develop or be that kind of superstar again. Or, yeah, is he just trying to live a comfortable life when he's 80 and thus, yeah, I'll just take the paydays until such time that nobody else wants me. And then maybe I'll still get signed by a club who wants to make a splash by inking a relatively known player. I think when it, what it comes down to is it would be very funny if he just took 60 million euros off of Real Madrid over the next three years for doing nothing. I think that would be the funniest thing for everybody. He should do that. I yeah. I, I would I would thoroughly enjoy that. <laughs> I think personal terms are going to be a huge issue for anybody. But I just I look at the Madrid squad from this weekend, and it's just so. I mean, this is I'm not breaking new ground saying this. It's a Madrid team that are very well beaten uh, to the title by Barcelona, mm-hmm. Atleti, uh, six points ahead of them currently. Um, but it's still a team that just is obviously going to reinforce. Uh, I mean, no disrespect to I think it was Brahim Diaz. Uh, uh, Mauro Diaz, or not Mauro Diaz, that's a very different Diaz. Uh, Mar- Mariano Diaz and and uh, Jesus Navas, I think, was the front three this weekend. Lucas Vasquez, Vasquez excuse yeah. me, Jesus Navas plays for a different team. Woo, I, I got there eventually. Uh, still doing this uh, off the top of my head, not remembering <laughs> that was what Madrid played. But, but like those three, it doesn't quite strike fear into the heart as like an in-prime uh, BBC did. So I, I, f- I feel like there's going to be a lot of money thrown around. And so they will have to part with some players. I just don't know how they'll manage to do uh, so with Gareth. Yeah, Bale. and it's interesting. I, I, the, the faith that he's been putting in youth at the moment, Zidane, like giving Brahim Diaz three quarters of the game and then come, uh, Vinicius coming on for him. I hope those two still have a decent role next season. I mean, I, I assume they will. In the past, Zidane hasn't really been too nervous to play young players or give relatively unproven players like Unless Asimiro, he's related to them. Uh, considerable minutes. Unless he's related to them, in which case, yeah, Enzo can figure <laughs> it out for himself. Uh, yeah, so maybe we'll see uh, Madrid back in the Champions League uh, semifinals or final next year. But I did want to talk a little bit Champions League before we go. Not necessarily who's made it, but I want to talk about these second legs. Uh, we've got Liverpool hosting Bayern Munich on Tuesday. Uh, a slight deficit there. Ryan, what is your expectation for how that game goes and then for uh, which team uh, advances? Liverpool hosting Barcelona, I think, was uh, the uh, the team they're playing, not Bayern Munich. But yeah, I get that. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm all over the place. <laughs> it's fine. It's been a long day. So I, I, I think, uh, yeah, as soon as Barcelona get a goal, which they will, this one's done. I don't think what more, more, more you can say about that. I think as as, as much as it's going to be a wonderful atmosphere at Anfield, and we've seen turnarounds like this happen, particularly at this later stage of this competition. And if there's a team who could do it, perhaps it is Liverpool with their spirit. But you know, without two of their best forwards, and with a team who can, you know, very rarely fail to score. I can't see anything but a Barcelona uh, advancement here. Yeah, no, nor can I. And I think I would agree with pretty much everything you said, that this feels like a game we've seen previously. Maybe Liverpool find a way to get like the early goal and, and suddenly the drama is there. But it does feel like one of those games where we're 20 minutes in, 
Like, Liverpool could theoretically do it, and then Lionel Messi does Lionel Messi things, and suddenly it's 1-0 Barcelona. Right. Uh, I, I do think uh, Jerdan Shakiri is going to be obviously very motivated to come in and make something happen. Hasn't gotten many minutes. Did end up getting minutes, obviously, this weekend, and has the assist for the game winner off that free kick. So maybe he comes in and has an impact. As I said, I think uh, maybe it's Origi, maybe it's Daniel Sturridge. We saw both of them get minutes. So I think they were looking towards this game against Barcelona as a way to kind of get a little bit more familiarity in that 11. So maybe it won't be quite as bad as it would seem with Liverpool missing two of their front three. But yeah, I'm with you that I still think at the end of the day, Barcelona probably get either a win or a draw in this game. And obviously, therefore, still advance, which leads us to Tottenham traveling to Ajax. I got those two teams right. (laughs) Brain still working. (laughs) Uh, That's Wednesday. Uh, Ajax obviously winning the first leg. At Tottenham, Ryan, uh, how do you see this one? So while Tottenham were losing with nine men uh, on the south coast, mm-hmm. uh, Ajax were busy winning the Dutch Cup uh, against Willems Vey by four goals to nil. That's uh, in two of their last three games. They've scored four goals. They've won their last six games in all competitions. They've already taken some pretty good uh, some scalps in this competition already. Uh, they're playing a Tottenham team who are all full away from home. I think you can tell where I'm going with the tone of my voice. Mm-hmm. I think Ajax are going to progress. And I don't think, I, I'd give Tottenham them a very very slim chance of making anything of this fixture see actually actually i wasn't sure if you were doing the setup and then switch it if you were like there's this and there's this and there's this but i still think it's gonna uh, be but i've got nothing to switch um, it to that's fair <laughs> i i i think i'm i'm with you much more so than i thought i would be i i really did think uh, after that first game that with son coming back in as i said i think the mobility would be Way better for Tottenham. I think if Tottenham had gotten a goal, which I think they easily could have in the first 15 or 20 minutes of that game, I think it's a completely different tie. Mm -hmm. That's kind of obvious. But I do think they kind of had the tools coming back to be in a much stronger position. I think not starting Wanyama would have certainly helped with that. He, again, looked kind of all over the place when he came on this weekend. But... Given the red cards, given the amount of minutes some of their key players had to play and thus will not be nearly as rested, will be much more fatigued and are, in a lot of cases, already carrying injuries or have some injury concerns, I'm thinking it's far harder for Tottenham to, to pull this one back. That said, I mean, what, even, I guess, what do they need in this, in this situation? If Ajax get one, then they need, I guess, just two, yeah. right? That still yeah. does it with the away goals. So it's not even like that dramatic of an ask it's not certainly not what Liverpool are going to need but I do think that yeah I have a feeling Ajax will still find a way to score uh, so then it's probably going to require Tottenham to get two can they do it yes do I think they will probably not um, I mean if Tottenham finishes game with 11 players that'll be an improvement on the previous game so let, let's, let's set there that as a target shall we but looking at Tottenham's last 15 games they've won four and drawn sorry they've won five and drawn one they've lost all the rest they're basically in relegation form at the moment Pretty poor. Yeah. It's just they're in slightly better relegation form than everybody yeah, else right. around them. Hooray, the Premier League. Best league in the world, though, Ryan. Best league in the world. Go the Hotspurs. Go the Hotspurs. All right, well, we have talked about a lot of uh, stuff that happened this weekend, most of it in the Premier League, since we're kind of coming to the final games, obviously final game coming up this weekend. Uh, Ryan will be back to review the final week of the Premier League. I'm assuming, Ryan, or I hope your schedule is still uh, open next Only Monday. if you'll have me, dear. Of course, of course, indeed, my friend. Uh, but until then, any other things you wanted to talk about? Anything we missed from the weekend? One little instant. I know we've run long today, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you go uh, soon. Yes. There's one little instant no, from no, no, League One um, that I'd like to talk about. League One, the aforementioned League One, which AFC Wimbledon will be competing in next year. Thank you all for asking. Yep, I haven't mentioned that enough times on this podcast in the past few weeks. Uh, Plymouth, who are trying to stay up on the final day. Uh, they're playing Scunthorpe 
Uh, Plymouth keeper goes down injured. His name is uh, Matt Mace. He throws the ball out. He rolls it out so he can receive treatment for himself. Uh, Scunthorpe's Josh Morris keeps that ball in and chips the keeper for an equaliser to make it 2-2. A goal which relegates Plymouth Argyle as things stand. Wow. Uh, obviously, players go absolutely nuts. The Argyle Twitter feed said uh, just uh, that was the most unsporting goal in home park history, which is saying something. Probably could agree with that. And the curious thing here, I wanted to compare it with the Villa Leeds game a few weeks ago, where mm. um, you know the, there was a, a, a goal in similar circumstances. A player should have gone went down injured, ball should have gone out, but it didn't, and a goal was given. Be able to let the uh, let, let Villa walk a goal in. No such action from Scunthorpe in this one. The manager afterwards saying, yeah, sorry, I should have let them score a goal. Well, it's no good saying it afterwards. And fortunately, <laughs> Plymouth did go on to score another. They won 3-2. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Sunderland couldn't find it within themselves to beat Southend. Southend won their game, which relegated Plymouth anyway. So I, in a way, I'm glad that this goal didn't decide a relegation battle because that would have been absolutely awful. I'm sure we'd be hearing a lot more about it. But come on, man. What I mean, clearly the player, the goalkeeper was down injured. He rolled the ball out and he put it back out and chipped it over him. Oh, that's not cool. The the, the person I feel like worst for and yet simultaneously like dislike the most is the social media manager for Scunthorpe because I saw they had to kind of keep the tweets up of like congratulations, your goal, like it's a great goal, congratulations, blah blah blah, like and it was just sort of like you you know how that went and you know what the look was and you all are choosing because you all are not apologizing and not letting them score and uh, like retribution. You're sort of then forced into celebrating this goal and making it seem like it was a totally like a feat of athletic achievement. And I feel bad for the person who has to kind of like promote the propaganda. But at the same time, they know what they're doing. They're complicit in Scunthorpe being bad. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for remembering that one. Uh, but I very much appreciate you taking all the time to talk about all of the action from this weekend. Uh, and I look forward to doing the same next weekend, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. 